en la marca Tucker. Devin Booker se enredó. Holiday de nuevo con una jugada excelente. A la defensiva. El Ali. ¡El ¡Oh! Y el ponte espectacular. Gianni Santetucumpo. La falta personal. Y volverá a la línea de libres. Recibir. Y Drew Holiday con un robo de bola espectacular. Bola lá para cima. Y ella y un falta. Y dos para Gianni Santetocumpo. Que... Jogada de Juro Holiday, este é, em definitivo, o Juro Holiday Game. E, e tal como aconteceu no jogo anterior, eu destaquei o Ricardo. It's the Press Box with Grainy and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. That was uh, Spanish. The first call you heard there was Spanish. The second one was Portuguese. Oh. Spanish, much better. I thought that last guy might have been Tatar. He sounded a little Russian. <laughs> Tatar, who doesn't play hockey anymore, it appears, is now doing NBA games. Joining us now is Jameson Welch. Jameson, how are you hey, this Jameson. morning? I'm doing well, fellas. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely yeah. appreciate it. All right, so we look at the NBA Finals, and the Bucks have now ripped off three wins in a row. Uh, what do you make of Game 5 and the offensive performances, honestly, from both teams? Well, game five, you know, I, I told someone whoever wins game five is going to win a series. Um, it's one of those things to where, you know, after four games, each team knows what they're running. Um, everyone knows everyone said, you know, you got a wrinkle here or there, but everyone knows pretty much what's going on. Um, there was a couple of adjustments that I saw from Milwaukee that kind of slowed down Phoenix a bit, uh, putting Drew Holiday on Chris Paul solely, letting him, having to work extra hard to get the ball up the court, get them in their set, uh, make things difficult, as difficult as possible uh, for Chris Paul, because Chris Paul is the guy who makes everything go for the Suns. I think Devin Booker is their best player, but Chris Paul is the guy that makes everything go for them. And if he's a second or two late, or if he's you know constantly, constantly, constantly getting pressured, it can take Phoenix out of their rotations, out of whack. Um, the one thing I looked at is both teams shot the ball very well. High-scoring game, everything went well. But the one thing I saw is in the first two games, when Phoenix got out to a big lead, they were able to maintain that. They got to that big lead in the first quarter, and Milwaukee walked them down within the second quarter. And that's why I was like, oh, this is a little bit different. But the things I saw was uh, Milwaukee's a bigger team. They have more energy, and they have the guy that no one can stop. Right now, Giannis cannot be guarded. That's a very scary thing. So, Devin Booker is asked afterwards, especially second to third quarter, you know, middle second, third on, where I don't know if Milwaukee missed a shot, where they said, you know, did you just run too much ISO for yourself? And he actually admitted, it's like, yeah, we just did a lot of that. So, what do you, if you're Phoenix and you're going there for game six, what do you have to choose in that realm to get more guys' looks or not run as much uh, for him? Man, it's tough because you're going back to Milwaukee. Uh, their fans going to be crazy. Like the environment's going to be crazy. Role players typically play better at home, uh, so you got to make a decision. You can either have Giannis go off and try to shut everybody else down, or you can try to do both. Of hey, let's limit Giannis to you know thirty or less, and then try to hold either Drew or Middleton to under their average. Like it's going to be very difficult, but they got to pick and choose because you can't have Drew being an all defensive guy and then scoring more than twenty five points can't do that. If he does that, he's gonna, they're going to win. So you got to figure out who to take away. Uh, Milton and Holiday. When those guys are going, very difficult to beat the Bucks. 
very, very difficult. They're going to have to have one of those guys with a below average type of game in order to have a chance of winning. Because Giannis is going to get his numbers. He's going to get his 30 and 13 or 30, if whatever rebounds he, he's going to get those. But you've got to limit one of their other star players. And if they're able to do that, they got a chance. But if both those guys go off, this thing's over on Tuesday night. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you're the Suns, even if you want to slow down Giannis, like they don't seem to have the personnel to be able to do that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, obviously, they don't have a backup big. They spent the 10th pick on a guy, but they don't play him. Uh, Frank Kaminsky can't guard anyone on this uh, set right now. Um, so, yeah, like, it's really DeAndre Ayton, and you can't afford for him to get in foul trouble because when you he gets in foul trouble, you got to go super small and put Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder as your two tallest guys, and they're not really interior guys like that. So when Milwaukee learn, again, it takes Milwaukee a little while, but in the Hawks here, they learn, hey, we're the bigger team. We're just going to put our bigger guys out there. We're going to rebound, and we're going to you know, enforce our, our will with our size. Uh, they're kind of the same thing in this series. Uh, they put Bobby Portis in in the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, and it switched the game. And Bobby Portis had a couple threes, had a couple putbacks, uh, a couple energy plays, some boards. And next thing you know, his energy with his skill uh, just flipped the game. And that's something that Phoenix doesn't have. Phoenix doesn't have that 6'9", 6'10 guy that's skilled that can do those things. And that's where they're getting missed. That's why they're getting killed on the boards. Because, you know, Giannis is close to 7 foot, Porras is 6'10", and Brooke Lopez is over 7 foot. So the boards are becoming an issue. You get extra opportunities to get shots and possessions. That's really killer at this time of the year. What did you think? Well, let's start with this off the top. Um, Bradley Beal test positive. He's out. I know I'm sure you followed and seen the three games here. Beat Spain last night. I thought that was a good result. They needed that before they got on the plane. But take us through what you think about this team, and especially the two guys they replaced last week for uh, Love and Beal. Uh, well, I'm glad we didn't need Kevin Love on this team. Like, he's done a lot for the program. Uh, you know, he's you know he has a gold medal. I believe in 16, 12, and 16. Uh, so he's done a lot for the program. I know at least for 12 for sure. Um, and I believe he's on the world championship team in 10. Uh, however, he didn't fit. They needed some guys. They need some younger guys and some guys that can move a little bit better than him at this stage of his career. Uh, the Bill situation was interesting because it seemed like they had too many of those type of guys on the team already, guys that were scoring guys first uh, with Levine and Dame and those guys, you got Booker coming. So having Beal there, I you know it's unfortunate that he had co- you know he caught COVID and had to leave. But it seemed like that's not the worst thing for their roster. Now adding Javale McGee is actually smart. As crazy as it sounds, I know people have their own you know you know preconceived notions about Javale, but you need a big that can block shots and at least deter people from coming into the paint. You don't want people just driving into the paint like that. And with the FIBA rules where you can knock the ball off the goal, it's actually not a bad thing. Like it's now you have a seven one guy that's still very athletic. It's gonna be a it's not the worst of things. Uh Keldon Johnson's an interesting guy. He's you know, I think he's better than a couple of the Spurs that play, you know, more than him or got paid before him. Uh so it's a it's a good fit for what they need at the moment. I would like one more perimeter defender, but they'll be they they have the talent to win it all. It's going to be if they come together in a short period of time. But they definitely have the talent to come to, uh, to win it all. Yeah, they're still pretty massive favorites to win the gold. How confident are you after those exhibition games that they will, in fact, win the gold? 
man, the only the only thing that worries me is that these players are exhausted. Uh, they basically played a season where they were playing back to back, you know, every other night, uh, games every other night, and like look at you know some guys were playing high leverage games, either getting to the playoffs or playing proceeding. You know, basically last two months of the season it was every other night, and it's tough, man. Like the one thing I listened to a couple of interviews, and I'm talking to a couple of people, and they're like, these guys are just exhausted. Like, these players are just tired. It's not like they're they're bad players. They don't want to do something. They're just tired. And when you're tired, there's certain things you don't do. And the first thing that goes when you're tired is defense. You know, that's the first thing you do is, hey, I'm a step or two slower on defense. I'm not going to close out as quickly. I'm not going to slide my feet as I would if I was fully rested. And my attention to detail is going to be a bit off. And those are things defensively that can cost you. Because in the FIBA game, you know, these guys, this is their Super Bowl. This is this is it. This is it. They whatever it takes. And if you're not going to meet that energy, it can be difficult. Well, okay, let me ask you this then, because here comes the cliche that I think is more and more true as, as we go in the years past. Let's say they don't get it done, uh, and these three guys are coming off an NBA Finals and getting on a plane to Tokyo. They're not going to be they're not going to be rested at all. More more uh, true a statement. If they don't get it done, it's because they didn't send their best players and they're tired or because you, uh, the other countries have really caught up enough? Uh, I would say, you know, just the exhaustion because TSA has 12 NBA players. And the last two seasons, we've seen what this cramped schedule has done to players. Like, we've seen it. Like, it's not some illusion. Like, we've seen guys get injured. We've seen uh, just the fatigue. Man, we've seen guys wear down. Uh, I, you know, if I'm the owner of the Bucks and or Suns, I'm like hoping my guy pulls out of the Olympics. Like I'm hoping because the season comes back like in three months, like, you know, less than three months. And that's a tough turnaround, man. Like you're not getting any rest. Your body's not recovering. And then you're going to have a full 82 game schedule. That's really difficult. That's why the teams that went to the finals last year, they were done this year. The Lakers and the Heat were done this year. Like the Heat, Barely had a team together for the full season. Lakers had injuries throughout the whole year. It wouldn't surprise me if we see the same thing next year, unfortunately. Uh, in the offseason, which technically hasn't even started yet, but teams that have hired new coaches, who do you think's made the best hire so far? That's a good question. Um, you know what? I will say Jason Kidd in Dallas is interesting because he's coaching a guy – Obviously, Luke is a better scorer, but he's coaching a guy that is ball dominant and that likes to control the pace, similar to how he did as a player. You know, he was in control of everything. If it goes well, that could be the best because if him and Luke get on the same page and if they can, you know, if they're cool with each other and they can build that roster out, that has the potential to be the best hire. Uh, but I do think uh, when it comes to the best off top, I think Rick Carlisle in Indiana is a really good one. I view him as a really good coach, and Indiana has a lot of weird pieces that I think if they figure out the roster, I think they can be pretty successful. And Rick Carlisle has won wherever he's gone. Uh, Kawhi Leonard with the uh, the ACL, they're talking maybe he won't start the next season. How far goes? Any chance he opts out now? So he definitely opts out of the deal, but that's only to sign a larger extension with the Clippers. Okay. Um, yeah, I see him opting out and then having more security because here's the thing, him opting out, there's still going to be teams that want him. It's not like there's, oh, we're not going to sign him. No, there's this the NBA, man. Like we've seen guys get paid for, we've seen far less Cowboy players get paid while being hurt. Far less. I mean, we've seen Chandler Parsons 
get almost $100 million. And, yeah, that's a different circuit for day. But, yes, um, if Kawhi opts out, signs a four-year deal with the Clippers, or he explores his options somewhere else, like Miami, like New York, you know, wherever he may want to go. But at the end of the day, I do believe he opts out, signs a deal with the Clippers, and then take, probably takes this year off because his body, you know, that, that quad and that knee are on the same leg. So that's going to take a lot more rehab than people think. And then partially torn ACL, that's a very risky injury. Very risky injury. Well, he is Jamison Welsh. Jamison, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Jamison. Oh, not a problem, guys. Thank you. Awesome stuff. Will they win the gold? I, uh, I think so. I think so. I, I, we said on here after they lost that first game to Nigeria, they were still going to win the gold medal. Uh, the, they beat Spain by whatever it was, like 15, almost 20 points. Uh over the weekend, Keldon Johnson, by the way, he actually played a lot better so, after. Yeah, he gets it, and everyone, including uh, us, kind of said, "Who's that?" and "What's he doing?" And he, he had fresh legs. He played well. I mean, I'm not going to say he didn't play. He played well. The funny part on Keldon Johnson is that he scored 15 points. He might have taken like three dribbles the entire game because every almost every bucket he scored was him either rolling or cutting to the basket and being left open. But he also fouled out, <laughs> and so like. We made fun of, like, why the hell are they adding Kelton Johnson? But it's almost like, yeah, Team USA needed a guy that was just going to go out there and take his five fouls. That was just going to go out there and punch somebody. I could do that. But you couldn't (laughs) score the 15 points, Jared. But I do love if Kelton Johnson's role is, all right, you're going to play about nine minutes a game. You're going to foul out and make the layups when they leave you on guard. Are you sure Nigeria won? Because, oh, wait a minute, their Twitter page still says they beat America. (laughs) Which in 2065, the top of the Nigerian Twitter page will still be say we beat the USA. Okay, in an exhibition. Yes. If you need a guy to go foul out, that's Udonis Haslam. Like, just bring him in. Does his body even work? He played like one game this season. I'm just Which, saying. Again, maybe that's what they need because everybody's too tired. Get the guy who only played one game. And he he's got five he's got five hard points in him. <laughs> So there was a story in the New York Post that Team USA never reached out to Julius Randle to replace uh, the two guys that are gone now. And the reasoning behind it was that they wanted JaVale McGee over Julius Randle because they wanted a true shot blocker. I mean... (laughs) Okay, yeah, I just, I was the first person we thought of because when Kevin Love got on there, it was like, how can you do that over Julius Randle, second team All NBA? Uh, but then the next sentence you always saw as well, they're undersized, and Bam's got to play center, and Love's more of a stretch guy. So I guess I see the reasoning. I mean, I would have called Julius Randle; he's a much better player. But if that's your reason, or is that just the reasoning you're saying? Because right. that's who, whatever you don't like, Julius. I don't know what their relationships are. Maybe it's like, hey, let's take them. And when they ask why, we're going to say we don't have a shot blocker. There's two things on that. Number one, if you wanted a shot blocker, why didn't you put one on the initial roster? Right. right? And yeah. number two is, is JaVale McGee even going to play? Like, I you, mean, you wanted a true shot blocker, but JaVale, is JaVale McGee going to play? Like, there might be some matchups where he plays, but like, we're probably looking back at the end of this and it's like, oh, JaVale McGee averaged 2.4 well, minutes a game. It's like when they took Love, Popovich goes, there will be some matchups. I'm like, like is that two minutes a game? <laughs> when he said them, I'm like, yes. what does that mean? So, I that that's it's still weird to me. It's still bizarre. Oh, like, we, Jared and I have to show, like, they should have taken Julius Randle. Like, that was like a no brainer. All right. What do we have to give away? Battle for Vegas tickets. Go see Cody Glass play softball. Yeah, find out if he's going to be there. Right now, it's Team Riley Smith taking on Team Marcus Allen for charity on Saturday, July 24th. 
Tickets courtesy of Vegas's fastest-growing luxury brand, Finley Volvo Las Vegas. Home run derbies at 6.30. First pitch is at 7.30. Again, that is this Saturday, July 24th. We've got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 8 at 702-364-1100 to go to the Battle for Vegas charity softball game. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the equal rights amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Congratulations to Michael. He is going to battle for Vegas. And coming up in just a few minutes, we'll have another giveaway. Uh, So stay tuned. Bischoff's Briefs today, though. Looking at the Oakland A's. Because earlier this year, the A's presented a term sheet to Oakland. Basically saying, hey, here's what we want. And it was, you know, two tax districts that would pay the A's about $855 million dollars to build this ballpark and all this other housing and mixed-use development. The city of Oakland now has their own term sheet, uh, and that term sheet has just one tax district, not two, and it would pay the A's about $490 million, not $855 million, and it would require the A's to include affordable housing in their mixed-use development. The A's have pushed back on this. Dave Cavill said if the council votes yes on that, it would be a yes on that term sheet, but it would really be a no on the project. The A's are pushing back on they don't want to have to be required to build affordable housing, and the A's are pushing back because only one of these two tax districts is getting approved by Oakland or is getting voted on by Oakland, so they'd only get $490 million and not $855 million. The A's have basically said we if they if they agree to this we're gonna we're gonna move is what they're trying to say. I don't believe them because if the city of Oakland gives the A's four hundred and ninety million dollars, the city of Oakland actually decides to give a pro sports team money and they give the A's four hundred and ninety million dollars. I do not believe anybody in Las Vegas or the state of Nevada will be able to give the A's more money than that. I do not think that that will happen because there was a a story in the Nevada Independent. I'm going to read a couple of parts of that. First off, several gaming insiders questioned whether strip casino operators would support another room tax increase to fund a baseball stadium, especially if it's built in the suburbs away from Las Vegas Boulevard. Plus, you have Clark County Commission Chairwoman Mary Kirkpatrick, who said, I think it's way too soon. I don't think we can fund what they might be asking for. We have a lot of businesses still hurting, and we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I cannot foresee anybody, even as much as we joke about Henderson, I can't foresee anybody in Vegas, Henderson, Nevada, having $500 million to give the A's. So at the end of the day, I think if the A's, if the Oakland City Council says we'll give you $490 million, I think the A's end up accepting that because that's going to be the best offer they have. 
I absolutely agree. I mean, I think in Clark County, it's a non-starter. I, I don't think Clark County's given anyone any money. So the Henderson kind of side of things, for as much as we make fun of, they have land and they give everyone everything. I mean, I, I do think that they would uh, step up and try to make a deal, but $500 million, no chance. Let me ask you this, though. So the term sheet's voted on tomorrow. They say yes on the—the the, the council says yes on the uh, on the city's uh, term sheet, which is the $490 million. Henderson comes back and says, well, we'll give you land at this price, and we can give you, like— 150 200 million what's the better deal oakland's the better deal if they get 490 million dollars oakland's the better deal. well isn't in oakland oakland's like a 12 billion dollar yes, project oakland, right it's a, yeah, a waterfront project yeah. it's more than just the ballpark right the it's a's, all the development yeah and the a's would own all of it and they would make money off of all of it whereas here i haven't heard anything but all the plans would be to just build the ballpark which I think is funny. I always I always think it's funny. Now, look, you and I both know these teams do not do this stuff without public money. They just don't. They they could be worth forty billion. Like, no, we still need your four hundred million. But at the end of the day, given what this town did for the Raiders and that kind of tax, if they're going to build a twelve billion dollar facility up there, asking for eight hundred million, whatever they want for the city, but then they're going to take the rest of it. You know what? Then if you're Henderson or whatever, like, hey, it's fine. You know, we'll give you the land. We're not giving you anything else. You were going right. to build $12 billion up there. Why would we right. give you a cent of money? Yes. I don't get I don't like – it's like why do you need anything? Now, if up there you're saying we, we need your $800 million just to get it done and we're not going to put that much into it and then make the decision. But if you say we want your $800 million and we've got all this money of our own to develop, then you know what? If you're Like I said, if you're Henderson, you want to give him a deal on the land, but then that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's, I don't know. Why would you give him anything? There was one other interesting thing from that uh, story in the Nevada Independent. Dave Cavill apparently mentioned to them that they could do a rental car tax increase to pay for it. Here? Yes. Well, I wonder who told him that. I mean, he, someone told him that. He, well, he cited that somewhere in Arizona they did it to build a spring training facility, that they increased a rental ta- a rental car tax to do a spring training Does facility. Does the legislature okay that? Uh, I would assume so. I would assume it's the exact same I, as the hotel room. Tax. I'm sorry. I don't know if there's any kind of temperature at the legislative level. We've already seen them quoted like what a month and a half ago. We're like the, a couple of them said there's yeah. no temperature for this at all to do anything for them. So what I find interesting about that is when you say rental car tax increase to pay for a State, baseball ballpark, park, that sounds like a option c d f like that's not option if you're the a's that's not the first option of like how do we get public money it can't be that sounds like dave cavill's already been told we're not raising the room tax we're not giving you it that like he's trying to be creative and find an alternate solution to get public money from vegas which would again imply to me He's already gotten the sense that he's not getting a room tax increase or any other normal way that you would give money to a pro sports team. I have a crazy idea. We do a tourist weed tax. So as whenever you show your driver's license to purchase your marijuana here in town, if it's a Nevada driver's license, you don't get taxed. This extra tax. But if it's anywhere else's driver's license, we put a $10 surcharge on that bad boy. <laughs> I feel like that doesn't have a good long-term plan because every state's going to have legalized marijuana soon. Hey, that's fair. All right. I, I just, again, I don't think... I'm I just you, don't, I don't know think what we're doing with this weed money! I don't think there's any, you know, support for a lot of public money for this thing. Right. I, there's no there's no way there is in the county. As much, like I said, I'll go back to the original point. As much as I make fun of Henderson and we do, 
that seems like the one area who might deal with them. Yeah. They want the resort corridor. It's like what you just said in terms of the, the Nevada independent story of casino people saying, eh, we're not doing this again. Yeah. We can't you can't keep you can't keep raising, you know, taxes in a pandemic and continue to think right. on these taxes that people are gonna right. keep coming here. That doesn't it doesn't work that way. All right. Coming up next, Ken Korak joins the show to talk about the Oakland days. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. You can hear him calling Oakland A games on the radio. Joining us now is Ken Korak. Ken, how are you today? Hi, Ken. I'm doing great. It's great to be with you guys. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm curious, what is the attitude? What's like the fan base response right now to the idea that the A's are flirting with Vegas? Well, it's a great question. I'm sure that if you were to ask any of the fans, I, I would suppose in any market around baseball for their opinions on the question you just asked that you'd find a variety of responses but you know mostly there's i'm sure there's some anxiety and and some concern i mean after all uh the a's have been in in the east bay here in oakland since 1968 so uh you want your fan base to have that kind of emotional attachment so uh, i'm sure those things are going on right now ken before we get to the vote tomorrow and how uh, how these things might go when it first happened um I wrote, and I think a lot of people felt, oh, this is just leverage. They're, they're leveraging it. They want the money from there. They're going to come to Vegas for one or two times, and it's really just leverage. Manfred at the All-Star break says, if you think it's leverage, you're stupid. And yet, after the council vote tomorrow, they say they've got another trip planned here. Where in your mind do you really believe the percentage is this is leverage, or they're absolutely serious that if it doesn't go there, where they would come here? Well, Ed, I think it's a serious thing, but... To be honest with you, and first of all, I'll, I'll preface by saying that uh, my focus since the beginning of the season has been primarily on doing the game. Right. Uh, I've broadcast 92 baseball games since the 1st of April, and uh, the A's have a game against the Angels uh, tonight that I'm getting ready for right now. So if, you would, you know, if you're looking for particulars or details about what's going on, uh, I think Dave Cavill might be the best person to talk to. And my, my feeling about it, too, and, and my approach to it, Ed, has been rather than passing judgment now or looking to assign blame or whatever, uh, that I'd like to see the I'd like to see it play out and let's see it get to the fruition get to fruition and then see where we are at that point uh, before I try to analyze it. Uh, you know Vegas pretty well. What do you think of Vegas as a market for a major league baseball team? Well, I think these are both great markets. To be honest with you, and I'm not trying to skirt the question or. Uh, you know, dodge the issue, but have I think I'm I've been pretty closely tied to both the East Bay here in the Bay Area and also uh, to Vegas, as you guys know. And I think that uh, I think both markets are ripe for Major League Baseball. I think I've always felt that uh, the Bay Area uh, can certainly support two clubs. I think that's been proven over the years. But uh, so my hope is that at some point uh, Vegas gets a ball club and that uh, the Oakland A's can thrive out here. You know, can we see it up there? And you talked about the fans, and I think this happens everywhere. There'll be afternoon games where you look at the numbers like, whoa, and it's hard to get to afternoon games. And then you see someone like Boston comes in and, you know, increases exponentially. You talked about how the fans feel. feel they lost the Raiders. Have you gotten any sense of they actually believe this is going to happen? So it's like, you know what, why do we keep going if we actually believe they might leave? There may be some of that, Ed, and to be honest with you, I think in the post-COVID days, or as we're still trying to work our way out of COVID, uh, to be honest, I haven't had the types of interactions with fans I normally would have. Uh, by this time in a season, normally I would have emceed maybe two or three events or 
we've had meet and greets in the past and times that you would really interact with a fan base. So uh, I think that's been one of the kind of ancillary and, and difficult um, effects of the, the COVID era is that I haven't spent nearly as much time except on the radio every day uh, with our fans as I normally would have. Uh, you get Otani tonight, right? Isn't he on the mound? Otani's going tonight against Cole Irvin. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun for sure. And I think that uh, I think we'll have a good crowd here. And I think the other thing, just to go back to your, your question about attendance and interest in the ball club, and I think it's something that maybe has been misunderstood over the years, and that is that in the 30 years that the A's and the Giants, the A's were in the Coliseum and the Giants were at Candlestick, uh, now, everything changed after the Giants got their new ballpark. But for those exactly 32 years, the A's and the Giants split the attendance out here. So it, it hasn't been like this overwhelming um, kind of domination by the Giants in terms of attendance because for better than three decades, it was split down the middle. In fact, there was a, a time in the 80s when uh, the Giants were going to be the club. They were going to leave. There was a lot of talk about that. So. Um, I really do believe that the A's have uh, a great and passionate fan base out here that I think can be rekindled. I really believe that. Well, if there, and look, I mean, you know this town, and as Tyler said, I mean, they gave a lot of public money to the Raiders. We don't think there's any kind of temperature for public money here, certainly not to the level of the term sheets in Oakland. Let's say it gets passed up there on the waterfront. Like, we asked you what it would be like here. Like, how how much would that change given a team that's been there for decades up there in terms of the interest and what could it do for the franchise if they just stayed and built that? Well, the A's believe it's a game changer. Uh, they've closed the door on building a ballpark at the Coliseum in the parking lot out here. And, and the A's really believe that it can be something that uh, not only is great for the club, but great for the city um, in terms of a vibrant waterfront uh, that's thriving. And also, let's face it, jobs. Uh, jobs and revenue coming into that area. So that's that's the vision uh, that the A's have for that. Uh, it's just north of Jack Lennon Square, uh, very close to downtown Oakland. And, and, I, and so there are a lot of, I think, positive things that could potentially come out of it. And uh, we'll just see if this thing can come down and get, get to the finish line. You mentioned that the Giants getting a new ballpark and changing attendance there. So, I mean, if this were to go through, A's get a new ballpark in Oakland. I mean, are they are they selling out every game? I mean, I imagine the attendance would go through the roof for them too. For the A's, yeah, or the Giants, for the A's, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's a scaled down ballpark with a capacity of just over thirty thousand. So, I would certainly hope so, and that's that's a big part of the plan for sure. Uh, the Warriors are gone. The Raiders uh, trying to hold on to the A's. You know that uh, uh, city well in terms of the Bay Area and Oakland. What what has sports been like now as these teams have gone and, and trying to hold on to the last one when you're up there? Well, it's been difficult to assess. I think first of all, not to go back and you know and, and replay what I talked about, but because of COVID, um, in terms of like even the Warriors and they at one time were like the hottest franchise in sports, not just in basketball. But they just started to allow fans into the arena over there, the Chase Center, the new arena in San Francisco, at the very end of the season. So um, it's really hard to assess in terms of uh, how things are bouncing back as we hopefully find our way out of COVID. Uh, the Giants are doing a nice job. I mean, the Giants have a really good club, and they're drawing really well right now. They're not selling out like they used to, but I think that uh, they have to feel pretty good about where they're at. Uh, they just have some really attractive 
series coming up here in, in August. They've got the Padres coming in. They have the Yankees for four, uh, the Giants for three, including a fireworks night. So my hope is that uh, we'll see a real uptick in the, in the attendance at the Coliseum as well. Come on, Kenny. Dodger fan, the Giants won't go away. What the hell's wrong up there? They just won't. They won't go away. They will not go away. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I I think there's a great passionate interest in in baseball here, and also in Las Vegas as well. So, uh, I'm really hopeful that at some point in time that uh, you can see baseball in both places for sure, and continue the continuation of American League baseball out here. Uh, Ken, are you traveling for road games, or are you still calling it uh, from Oakland? No, we're not going anywhere. We're still doing the games. So we sit in an empty coliseum with 48,000 empty seats and broadcast the road games off a TV monitor. Okay. Do, do, is there just one TV monitor? Are you just calling it off like what the TV broadcast is? <laughs> I can send you a photo. Um, <laughs> actually, I hang out in the, in the visiting TV booth by myself over there, and my broadcast partner, uh, Vince Catronio is in the home radio booth right next door. There's just a, a pane of glass, a window that separates us. Our engineer is over in that booth. And on the occasions when the great Ray Fossey works with us, which he will be doing for much of this upcoming road trip, he's to my left in the press box area. So I've got two big monitors that I look at. Uh, one is the picture, the TV screen that you would see at home. And the other one has various... Uh, smaller shots in, in one giant screen where you get, like, the visiting in the home bullpens. Uh, you get what's called an all-nine, which is a high home shot of the entire field. You might get a look at the scoreboard, things like that, or maybe the home broadcast, because we're looking at our broadcast at, at, at the A's broadcast on the, on the TV screen as well. I'm, I'm curious, how hard has it been to call fly balls to the outfield as to whether it has a chance to be a home run or not? Because I feel like every baseball game I watch, if the announcers aren't there, they have no idea. I've called balls that I thought were like fair or foul right down the line, and it's 40 feet fair. <laughs> I haven't, you know, really. I mean, it's, it's been a challenge for sure. We understand that we've all had to make adjustments during these times. So it's a small price to pay. And I think the way I've described it is that normally when you're like, when I go to the ballpark tonight, of course, you're calling what you can see when you're doing a game off a monitor, you're calling what you're being shown. Mm -hmm. And that's a big difference. And there's also a feel that I don't know whether to talk louder or softer or quicker or slower because you don't, you just don't have a feel for being there. So, and all those things just come naturally when you're, you're there in person doing the games. Well, he is Ken Korak. Again, you can hear him calling A's games on the radio as the voice of the A's. Ken, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Ken. Take care of yourself, man. Hey, anytime, you guys. Thanks Take for having me. Appreciate it. You too. Yeah, that must be, though. I think some are on the road. Like, like Hershey's and the Dodgers, they show up, they show shots of the field. I think they might be on the road. I don't know. I mean, but it just must be so weird calling a baseball game just with the shot you and I yeah. are seeing. Well, so over the weekend, watching the Astros White Sox, Jeff Bagwell was filling in doing color commentary, and there were multiple times that there would be a, a fly ball into the outfield. Off the bat. And he'd be like, there we go, yeah. and it'd be caught like 15 feet shy right. of the warning track. Right. And I was like, eh, yeah, didn't quite get a good hold of noise, that Good noise, good noise. Because there's a lot... Um, there are some, hello, Charlie Blackman, to win it yesterday. Off the bat, you're like, that's gone, and you turn the television channel. But there are others where you're not really sure, 
and then you're shocked when they go out. Yeah. Like, it comes off the bat, it's like, yeah, it's a fly ball to center, and, like, it travels and it goes out. So the announcers are in a bad spot when they're not there. All right, here we go. We've got free lunch for two at Porta Subs. You can win that right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Two Porta Subs All-American combos, turkey, ham, bacon, and provolone on pepperoncini pepper jack bread, all grilled to perfection with your choice of chips and a drink. You get lunch for two at Porta Subs right now. 702-364-1100. Caller number four at 702-364-1100 for free lunch to Porta Subs. Hi, this is Giannis, free throw shooting coach. Just wanted to warn everyone to stay off the roads this afternoon. I'll be working my second job as a driving instructor. Okay, thanks. Booker picked up by P.J. Tucker defensively. Booker on the drive, gets in the lane. Booker comes out with it. It's stolen by Drew Holiday. Holiday took it away. Holiday lobs it inside for Giannis, and uh, he is pushed and fouled. Well, Holiday, the defensive hands of Drew Holiday have been a huge factor in this wow. series. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. I was about to come on here and start campaigning to fire a guy that I've never met, but Jared informed me that was the son's call of the Drew Holiday steal and alley-oop to Giannis, which more understandable that he would be despondent. Whereas if that had been like the Bucks call or even just like a neutral call, that's like the biggest moment of the finals. <laughs> and he's like, and he's pushed and fouled. <laughs> I just, you missed the part where he floated through the air. <laughs> yeah, he, he's pushed it. Like if you were just listening to that, you go, Oh, all right. Well, he didn't score or anything. Yeah. No, no, he did. <laughs> then he was pushed. And thanks to Mike for our voicemail, as he is—he's uh... doing characters. Yes, right. he has—he has an entire ensemble of characters that he is breaking out for us. He is now Giannis's free throw coach. But which, by the way, is that a profession that needs to be untapped, where you are just specifically a coach for free throws? It, it... Well. Oh, I was just gonna say, didn't isn't that what Rick Barry did for a really Rick long? Barry did it for a while? But I was wondering, did what did I miss in terms of he's teaching people to drive? Well, he's he's not very good at teaching people how to shoot free throws, so he's yes. saying stay off the uh, roads because no. he's also yes. teaching them how to drive because uh, there aren't very good drivers. Yeah. I guess he shouldn't teach me that. Well, you're a lost cause. You're the Gian, you're the Giannis. Of I'm the, the Giannis road. of driving. Yeah, you're the Giannis of the road. <laughs> Watch out. It's a little dangerous out People there. behind you in traffic are counting one, two, yeah. three. Yeah, there's people counting all the money uh, behind you as well. As yeah, how much it's Ed's $100 bills. Us. Yeah, so much Ed's going to owe us. So, yeah, no, that was I, – I appreciate Mike's uh, characters here. So there was something I threw into the rundown at the last minute, but it was uh, – I want to go back to it. The French call. I found a picture of the two people doing the French play-by-play, and it's in the rundown, and I think Ed nailed it, where if if you had told me that they had a lit cigarette oh, yeah. while calling oh, yeah. that game, those those two guys look like two dudes just sitting like in a cafe, and they both I mean, should have lit cigarettes. French, you're like, you know, 99%, they're, they're smoking during the game. Come on. <laughs> look at but look at these two dudes. Like one of them just looks like he just rolled out of bed and just put on the shirt he was wearing the last 3 days and he's like I need to go call a uh, basketball game now. 
Okay. Who calls NBA games in French? Like, like, well, do they have I mean, people that cover the NBA all year? I can't imagine they have French radio covering the NBA. They all probably year. have a beat writer for Rudy Gobert. Oh, that's I mean, there's so many. I, I tell you what, I look. I mean, I'm not going to say and everything about journalism in other countries, or whatever. But it always fascinates me if it's a foreign player. Otani's a completely different guy, and so is Itro. But there, there would be like second level, either Asian players or players, you know, French players, German players, where they send out like complete beat writers and they cover every game. And that's always why I felt bad for them because I'm like, you only cover one guy. Yes. Like how many storylines? Yes. Otani might be different from most of these guys. Like Rudy Gobert, right. like how much could you right. write about Rudy Gobert? Two years ago, I went to an Angels game and Otani wasn't in the lineup. He pinch hit in the ninth and struck out. And it's like if you're there just to cover Otani, he pinch hits in the ninth and strikes <laughs> out. What are you, yeah. what are you doing? You're I mean, <laughs> as great as Ichiro was, he had. I was at a game in a dugout with Ichiro with one time. He had like nine writers, and I asked the guy, like the beat writer, goes, "They travel everywhere with him." It was amazing. Like now, that was back in better days for like you know journalism in terms of uh, print and everything. But I was shocked. I'm like, man. Now, I'm sure they talk to people around the team and get other stories, but they are literally living in this city to cover one person. Is there enough? Is there really enough of an appetite for that? Like back in, I mean, you I, know, if you're I coming mean, from Japan or China, I is there no enough idea. of an appetite? Because I don't know. They have their own leagues. Yes. And, and yes. Obviously, it's not Major League Baseball, but they're successful leagues. They're very like, successful. It's not like they don't have fan bases of the teams in their own leagues. I just. I'm fascinated with the idea that you could okay. send somebody to another country to cover a certain one player. person the entire time. Yeah, I'm fascinated because there. I just can't imagine there's enough of a market for that. Okay, but what I will say is this is how we also find out things like Hideki Matsui having over fifty five thousand porn videos because. Okay, it's year six. Right. Just throw me something. Right. It's not as much of, hey, are they going to have good story? They will if there's nine sure. of them covering the guy every day. Sure. They're going to get something good. But, like, I just, I'm amazed that there would be a market for that. I can't, I, I can't imagine there's a market to justify that where you would have multiple media outlets sending people to cover one person who's, again, playing for a team in another country at this point. Like... I don't know. I can't like, like Christian Pulisic plays for Chelsea. Are there? There's not eight Americans over there covering his every move. Are there? No. Well, Christian uh, Pulisic. That's a great. Uh, that's a great uh, example. But while you're going to Japanese baseball, because Americans have gone over to Japanese baseball and been great. I mean, they've had incredible careers. But American journalism and newspaper series, we'd never think of doing that. No. Like, you might have a guy who's incredible and he might go travel through the area. We'll do a feature on him. But to live there. <laughs> Because Joe's hit 40 home runs in the Japanese league? To be on the Milton Bradley beat Yes, exactly. It wouldn't happen. 